Homily 19, Part 1. St. John Chrysostom. Homilies on the Gospel of St. Matthew. Translated by the Reverend Sir George Prevost, M.A. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Homily 19, Part 1. Matthew 6, 1 through 8. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. He roots out in what remains the most tyrannical passion of all, the rage and madness with respect to vainglory, which springs up in them that do right. For at first he had not at all discoursed about it, it being indeed superfluous, before he had persuaded them to do any of the things which they ought, to teach in which way they should practice and pursue them. But after he had led them on to self-command, then he proceeds to purge away also the alloy which secretly subsists with it. For this disease is by no means of random birth, but when we have duly performed many of the commandments. It behooved, therefore, first to implant virtue, and then to remove the passion which mars its fruit. And see with what he begins, with fasting and prayer and almsgiving, for in these good deeds most especially it is wont to make its haunt. The Pharisee, for instance, was hereby puffed up, who saith, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of my substance. And he was vainglorious, too, in his very prayer, making it for display. For since there was no one else present, he pointed himself out to the publican, saying, I am not as the rest of men, nor even as this publican. And mark how Christ began, as though he were speaking of some wild beast, hard to catch, and crafty to deceive him who was not very watchful. Thus take heed, saith he, as to your alms. So Paul also speaks to the Philippians, Beware of dogs, and with reason, for the evil beast comes in upon us secretly, and without noise puffs all away, and unobservedly carries out all that is within. For as much then as he had made much discourse about almsgiving, and brought forward God, who maketh his sun to rise on the evil and the good, and by motives from all quarters had urged them on to this, and had persuaded them to exult in the abundance of their giving. He finishes by taking away also all things that encumber this fair olive tree, for which same cause he saith, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men, for that which was before mentioned is God's almsgiving. And when he had said, Not to do it before men, he added, To be seen of them. And though it seems as if the same thing were said a second time, yet if any one give particular attention, it is not the same thing, but one is different from the other, and it hath great security, and unspeakable care and tenderness. For it may be, both that one doing alms before men may not do it to be seen of them, and again that one not doing it before men 
may do it to be seen of them. Wherefore it is not simply the thing, but the intent, which he both punishes and rewards. And unless such exactness were employed, this would make many more backward about the giving of alms, because it is not on every occasion altogether possible to do it secretly. For this cause, setting thee free from this restraint, he defines both the penalty and the reward, not by the result of the action, but by the intention of the doer. That is, that thou mayest not say, What, am I then the worst, should another see? It is not this, saith he, that I am seeking, but the mind that is in thee, and the tone of what thou doest. For his will is to bring our soul altogether into frame, and to deliver it from every disease. Now having, as you see, forbidden men's acting for display, and having taught them the penalty thus ensuing, namely, to do it vainly, and for naught, he again rouses their spirits by putting them in mind of the Father and of heaven, that not by the loss alone he might sting them, but also shame them by recollection of him who gave them being. For ye have no reward, saith he, with your Father which is in heaven. Nor even at this did he stop, but proceeds yet further, by other motives also increasing their disgust. For as above he set forth publicans and heathens, by the quality of the person shaming their imitators, so also in this place the hypocrites. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, saith he, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do. Not that they had trumpets, but he means to display the greatness of their frenzy, by the use of this figure of speech, deriding and making a show of them thereby. And well hath he called them hypocrites, for the mask was of mercy, but the spirit of cruelty and inhumanity. For they do it not because they pity their neighbors, but that they themselves may enjoy credit. And this came of the utmost cruelty, while another was perishing with hunger, to be seeking vainglory, and not putting an end to his suffering. It is not then the giving alms which is required, but the giving as one ought, the giving for such and such an end. Having then amply derided those men, and having handled them so, that the hearer should be even ashamed of them, he again corrects thoroughly the mind which is so distempered, and having said how we ought not to act, he signifies on the other hand how we ought to act. How then ought we to do our alms? Let not thy left hand know, saith he, what thy right hand doeth. Here again his enigmatical meaning is not of the hands, but he hath put the thing hyperbolically. As thus, if it can be, saith he, for thyself not to know it, let this be the object of thine endeavor, that if it were possible, it may be concealed from the very hands that minister. It is not, as some say, that we should hide it from wrong-headed men, for here he hath commanded that it should be concealed from all. 
and then the reward too, consider how great it is. For after he had spoken of the punishment from the one, he points out also the honour derived from the other, from either side urging them, and leading them on to high lessons. Yea, for he is persuading them to know that God is everywhere present, and that not by our present life are our interests limited, but yet a more awful tribunal will receive us when we go hence, in the account of all our doings, and honours, and punishments, and that no one will be hid in doing anything, either great or small, though he seem to be hid from men. For all this did he darkly signify, when he said, Thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly, setting for him a great and august assemblage of spectators, and what he desires, that very thing bestowing on him in great abundance. For what, saith he, dost thou wish? Is it not to have some to be spectators of what is going on? Behold, then, thou hast some, not angels, nor archangels, but the God of all. And if thou desire to have men also as spectators, neither of this desire doth he deprive thee at the fitting season, but rather in greater abundance affords it unto thee. For if thou shouldst now make a display, thou wilt be able to make it to ten only, or twenty, or we will say a hundred persons. But if thou take pains to lie hid now, God himself will then proclaim thee in the presence of the whole universe. Wherefore, above all, if thou wilt have men see thy good deeds, hide them now, that then all may look on them with the more honour, God making them manifest, and extolling them, and proclaiming them before all. Again, whereas now they that behold will rather condemn thee as vainglorious, when they see thee crowned, so far from condemning, they will even admire thee, all of them. When therefore by waiting a little, thou mayest both receive a reward, and reap greater admiration, consider what folly it is to cast thyself out of both these, and while thou art seeking thy reward from God, and while God is beholding, to summon men for the display of what is going on. Why, if display must be made of our love, to our Father above all should we make it, and this most especially, when our Father hath the power both to crown and to punish. And let me add, even were there no penalty, it were not meet for him who desires glory to let go this our theatre, and take in exchange that of men. For who is there so wretched, is that when the king was hastening to come and see his achievements, he would let him go, and make up his assembly of spectators of poor men and beggars. For this cause, then, he not only commands to make no display, but even to take pains to be concealed, it not being at all the same, not to strive for publicity, and to strive for concealment. And when we pray, saith he, ye shall not be as the hypocrites, 
for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret. These two again he calls hypocrites, and very fitly. For while they are feigning to pray to God, they are looking round after men, wearing the garb not of suppliants, but of ridiculous persons. For he, who is to do a suppliant's office, letting go all other, looks to him alone, who hath power to grant his request. But if thou leave this one, and go about wandering, and casting around thine eyes everywhere, thou wilt depart with empty hands. For this was thine own will. Wherefore he said not, Such shall not receive a reward, but they have it out, that is, they shall indeed receive one, but from those of whom they themselves desire to have it. For God wills not this. He rather for his part was willing to bestow on men the recompense that comes from himself. But they, seeking that which is from men, can be no longer justly entitled to receive from him, for whom they have done nothing. But mark, I pray thee, the loving kindness of God, in that he promises to bestow on us a reward, even for those good things which we ask of him. Having then discredited them, who order not this duty as they ought, both from the place and from their disposition of mind, and having shown that they are very ridiculous, he introduces the best manner of prayer, and again gives the reward, saying, Enter into thy closet. What, then, it may be said, ought we not to pray in church? Indeed we ought by all means, but in such a spirit as this, because everywhere God seeks the intention of all that is done. Since, even if thou shouldst enter into thy closet, and having shut the door, shouldst do it for display, the doors will do thee no good. It is worth observing in this case also how exact the definition which he made when he said, that they may appear unto men, so that even if thou shut the doors, this he desires thee duly to perform, rather than the shutting of the doors, even to shut the doors of the mind. For as in everything it is good to be freed from vainglory, so most especially in prayer. For if even without this we wander and are distracted, when shall we attend unto the things which we are saying, should we enter in having this disease also? And if we who pray and beseech attend not, how do we expect God to attend? But yet some there are, who after such and so earnest charges, behave themselves so unseemly in prayer, that even when their person is concealed, they make themselves manifest to all by their voice, crying out disorderly, and rendering themselves objects of ridicule both by gesture and voice. Seest thou not that even in a market-place should any one come up doing like this, and begging clamorously, he will drive away him whom he is petitioning. But if quietly, and with the proper gesture, then he rather wins over him that can grant the favor.
Let us not then make our prayer by the gesture of our body, nor by the loudness of our voice, but by the earnestness of our mind. Neither with noise and clamor and for display, so as even to disturb those that are near us, but with all modesty and with contrition in the mind and with inward tears. But art thou pained in mind and canst not help crying aloud? Yet surely it is the part of one exceedingly pained to pray and entreat even as I have said. Since Moses too was pained and prayed in this way and was heard, for this cause also God said unto him, Wherefore criest thou unto me? And Hannah too again, her voice not being heard, accomplished all she wished, forasmuch as her heart cried out. But Abel prayed not only when silent, but even when dying, and his blood sent forth a cry more clear than a trumpet. Do thou also then groan, even as that holy one, I forbid it not. Rend, as the prophet commanded, thine heart, and not thy garments. Out of deeps call upon God, for it is said, Out of the depths have I cried to thee, O Lord. From beneath, out of the heart, draw forth a voice, make thy prayer a mystery. Seest thou not that even in the houses of kings all tumult is put away, and great on all sides is the silence? Do thou also therefore, entering as into a palace, not that on the earth, but what is far more awesome than it, that which is in heaven, show forth great seemliness. Yea, for thou art joined to the choirs of angels, and art in communion with archangels, and art singing with the seraphim. And all these tribes show forth much goodly order, singing with great awe that mystical strain, and their sacred hymns to God, the King of all. With these, then, mingle thyself, when thou art praying, and emulate their mystical order. For not unto men art thou praying, but to God, who is everywhere present, who hears even before the voice, who knows the secrets of the mind. If thou so pray, great is the reward thou shalt receive. For thy father, saith he, who seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. He said not, shall freely give thee, but shall reward thee. Yea, for he hath made himself a debtor to thee, and even from this hath honoured thee with great honour. For because he himself is invisible, he would have thy prayer be so likewise. Then he speaks even the very words of the prayer. When ye pray, saith he, use no vain repetitions, even as the heathen do. Ye see that when he was discoursing of almsgiving, he removed only that mischief which comes of vainglory, and added nothing more. Neither did he say whence one should give alms, as from honest labor, and not from rapine nor covetousness, this being abundantly acknowledged among all and also before that he had thoroughly cleared up this point when he blessed them that hunger after righteousness. 
but touching prayer, he adds somewhat over and above, not to use vain repetitions. And as there he derides the hypocrites, so here the heathen, shaming the hearer everywhere most of all by the vileness of the persons. For since this, in most cases, is especially biting and stinging, I mean our appearing to be likened to outcast persons. By this topic he dissuades them, calling frivolousness here by the name of vain repetition, as when we ask of God things unsuitable, kingdoms and glory, and to get the better of enemies, and abundance of wealth, and in general what does not at all concern us. For he knoweth, saith he, what things ye have need of. And herewith he seems to me to command in this place that neither should we make our prayers long, long I mean not in time, but in the number and length of the things mentioned. For perseverance indeed in the same request is our duty, his word being continuing instant in prayer. And he himself too, by that example of the widow, who prevailed with the pitiless and cruel ruler by the continuance of her intercession, and by that of the friend who came late at night-time and roused the sleeper from his bed, not for his friendships, but for his importunity's sake. What did he but lay down a law, that all should continually make supplication unto him? He doth not, however, bid us compose a prayer of ten thousand clauses, and so come to him and merely repeat it. For this he obscurely signified when he said, They think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. For he knoweth, saith he, what things ye have need of. And if he know, one may say, what we have need of, wherefore must we pray? not to instruct him, but to prevail with him, to be made intimate with him, by continuance in supplication, to be humbled, to be reminded of thy sins. End of Homily 19, Part 1